Good morning. Good morning, everyone. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you care about our lives and what touches our lives. We ask you this morning as we celebrate you and who you are and the power of your life that you will speak to us. We love you and we honor you and Jesus, we're just crazy about you. Help us open our hearts to you even more. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I have a, a, a new book that is coming out this coming Tuesday in bookstores. It's called One Small Barking Dog, uh, How to Live a Life That's Hard to Ignore. And I usually don't hawk my wares when I come here, but uh, uh, I did grab a, some copies for those of you that are at the campuses. Sorry, but there are some here uh, in the bookstore. Um, I've become convinced over the past 20 years or so that the Holy Spirit is trying to emphasize the value of the everyday Christian. I mean, I love that God has gifted people in the church, leaders that speak, you know, and lead and all that sort of thing. But I, I, I really think that God wants us to recognize he is very, very present in the home, on the job, as much as he's present on a Sunday morning uh, in the pulpit. And I, and I think that, that as a church, at large, we may be looking for the next Billy Graham or Mother Teresa to try to help save the world. But, but I think that God's looking for average Joes and Janes. I, I think he's looking for, the, for those butchers and bakers and candlestick makers, you know, the people that, uh, uh, that will live out their ordinary lives in extraordinary ways. And um, uh, the problem is we're not big on ordinary in American culture. Because we're, we're kind of a hero culture. Um, we uh, tend to think that only those who stand out or stick out are worthy of any kind of notoriety or adulation. Uh, so it's the stand out beautiful, the stick out rich, you know, the, the stick out talented fairy tale people who seem to be the ones that matter. And uh, they are our idols, right? Somehow we think stand out proves worth. And um, if we don't stand out, if you're sort of average, sort of ordinary, uh, then you're uh, kind of like cellophane. You're see-through-ish. Uh, nobody notices cellophane. And something in us fights against that notion, the notion of, of being cellophane or being insignificant. Uh, it, it's, it's untenable to us. It's scary to us because I think we all want to matter. I think we all need to matter. Um, don't misunderstand me. I mean, I, 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 I love the idea that we believe as a culture that people can do anything they want to do. That, that, you know, the idea that we can dare to dream, that we can dare to excel in our lives. I think that's beautiful. Uh, I'm convinced that everyone can become excellent at things in life. I think that's cool. Um, if we're carpenters, we should strive to be amazing at our craft. If we're teachers, we should grow and get better. If you like to cook, you ought to get really, really good and invite me over. Uh, you know, I think we sh you should be a genius hunter or fisherman. Uh, if you like that sort of thing, an amazing parent, and a wonderful spouse. Uh, uh, I think you should move it. I think we can get healthy if we want to. I think that we can, can have better lives if we want to, particularly those of us who are believers, not just Americans. Because we have texts like Philippians 4 and 13 where Paul claims, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I mean, that opens up so many possibilities for our lives. But there's a downside to this kind of thinking. 
some are basically smoking a I have a dream ganja. <laughs> you know, where they think they can do anything they want to do anytime they want to do it. And, uh, I mean, just watch the first part of any American Idol show. You know, those first few weeks. <laughs> and you have these people that sing like hound dogs who have convinced themselves that they have a dream to be an American Idol. And that anything we dream, anything we dare to dream, if we just go after our dream, if we just imagine it, and we really fight and refuse to give up, that somehow we can have it. Uh, the, and, and so these folks, you know, if you watch it, you know, they get mad at the judges like Simon. You know, they'll say, Simon's trashing my dream. I want to be a famous singer. I'm supposed to be the next American Idol. The problem is nobody agrees. So on one level, level the adage, you can be anything you want to be, is not true. I mean, we probably need to say it something like this. You can be anything you want to be if you're calibrated to do such things. See, there, there's a degree of calibration and giftedness and talent pool and base that you've got to have in order to move into something that's excellent. And, and you know, I mean, I, uh, for myself, I, I could never be an NFL player. I'm 54 years old. I mean, you know, I'm too old to do it. I, 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 I'm, I'm besides the other problems I have, like <laughs> little and weak and fat. <laughs> now, some of those are overcomable, to be sure. But, but you know, the reality is, as much as I want to, I couldn't. I, I, I can't be an NFL player, and, and give it another five or ten years, that'll be true for Brett too. Psalm 139 says, um, this is a beautiful text. It's talking about, about how God intentionally made us, that we're not accidents. That the things that make you laugh, things that make you cry, your personality, the things that warm your heart, that make you excited, that get you uh, encouraged and, 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 and sort of alive and running, willing to run at things, that a lot of that stuff was put in you by God. It says, the psalmist is praying for you created my inmost being. You, God, knit me together when I was in my mom. He said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, intentionally, purposefully made. We're not accidents. He says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Some of us don't know it at all. That God actually intentionally made us the way we are. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. He said, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written. Such a wild verse. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He's saying that, that God intentionally made you, and then he put a book together that has all the capacities and possibilities of what you could be in your life. Wouldn't you like to peek into that book? Right? I think we can by looking at ourselves. I think we can by looking at our interests, by looking at our capacities. But those are the fingerprints of God. It's like, you know, when the bears got home and somebody was messing with their porridge and somebody was messing with their chair and somebody was messing with their beds. It isn't until the end of the story that they run into Goldilocks. Right? See, if you look at your life, you find that somebody's been messing with your passion. Somebody's been messing with your ability. Somebody's been messing with your life. And it isn't until the end of the story we get to see him. 
But that doesn't mean he's not messing. There's something going on in your life that's intentional, that's from God. I think we were created with all kinds of potentials and all kinds of capacities. You know, like a, if you're, if you're, when you were a kid, if you ever got the erector sets, they, you know, they used to come. I don't know if you've got those. You can throw those on the screen. They used to come in these boxes, right? They still do. You get them in a big box. And then inside you have all these gadgets. You have these little wheels and uh, girders and all this little stuff. And you could make all kinds of, you know, a bunch of different little cars, a bunch of different little things, uh, that, uh, because you could be re- you could play and be creative, and there was a whole lot of yeses and very few noes that you could do with that with that that stuff that you got. But the reality is, with all the stuff that's in that little erector set, all the possibilities of it, you, you couldn't build a, a you know a, a hotel with it. It was beyond the box. Right? See, even though you have all kinds of yeses, all kinds of potentials, and you should strive for excellence in your life, the reality is there is some stuff in you, there, there is stuff in you that if you try to build beyond it, you're, you're not going to get very far and you're going to crash and burn. Get the stuff out of the box and go after it. Try to glorify God to make the world a better place, but acknowledge the fact you've got a box and check into it instead of just trying to be uh, smoking crack fantasy world, right? Okay, that's my point. But to change the world, that's what God's called us to do. And, and, and I'd like to suggest there are two ways to do that. One is by being a big dog. The other is by being a little dog connected to big things. Now, what I mean by being a big dog, the big, these are pretty, God has given some pretty amazing people in the world. Some that are extremely talented, amazingly brilliant, people that are stunning communicators. And it's easy to see how they can change the world. I mean, they, they create shock and awe just by walking into the room, right? And there are people like that. God's made people like that. No question about that. Uh, on the other hand, there, there, there are the small dogs. And, and to believe that being a small dog is a good thing is a hard sell in a big dog world. And, and, uh, but I'd like to suggest this morning that God has made both great and small. That... that that's what the scripture claims, that God made the great and God made the small. And, and, and Which begs the question, why would God make anyone small? I mean, why isn't everyone amazing? Why, is it, why can't everybody sing in tune? <laughs> right? <laughs> why, why aren't we all stick out talented or stick out brilliant? Why, why, do some of us, why, can't, why, can't, why, don't get, why don't I get math? Right? I've come, I have some theories as to why, but before I get into that, uh, a couple of those, let, let me point out that Jesus was both a big dog and a small dog. Uh, he started out small. He was born in a manger. You can't get more nobody than that. He grew up in this, this small village that had a bad reputation, Nazareth. People would say, you know, what can come out of Nazareth, right? Wrong side of town, wrong town. Uh, he grew up in this tiny village and, uh, with, with, and, and, and uh, was raised in this home of a carpenter. And Jesus, it turned out, was a blue-collar worker. Uh, it isn't that Jesus didn't want to start out big. If you remember the famous story of when he was a kid, 12 years old, he goes down to the temple and he's hanging out and left his family. His family thought you know, they were traveling and he left them and they kept traveling. And Jesus was missing for three or four days. And when they finally got back to the temple and they found Jesus, he was talking to all these people and people were listening to him and were astounded by his wisdom. So he was, he was cooking, man. He was 12. He started to show that big dog, dog growl going on, right? And uh, when they came to him, when his mom came to him and said, Jesus, what are you doing? And remember what he said? He said, Mom, 
didn't you know I must be about my father's business? And yet his mom says, well, here, let's, let's talk this business and pulled him home and said, you're going to come home. <laughs> you know, and we're going to talk business. And so Jesus goes home for 18 years, more years before he actually started his big dog life. I think that's provocative. I think that, that it shows that, um, that, you know, when you really study scripture and the lives of the saints in history, you discover that, that this ordinary world, this ordinary part of life, this small dog part of our lives, uh, is really a place that, love, that God loves to inhabit with, eternal, with the eternal. Uh, it appears that, that the beachhead for God spilling in his life into this world is through the dreaded ordinary. That Jesus brought the eternal into the world through the ordinariness of life. It was Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, uh, who wrote, quote, the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. Now, now why? Why would, why, why would God do this? I got, I got some theories. Theory number one. What if big, or what if rather, what if small is really big for God? What if small is really something big for God? Uh, think about bombs for a minute, right? As modern warfare developed, scientists tried to build bigger and bigger bombs. Um, but some of them began to suspect that the greatest power would be found in the smallest place. And so they started researching the idea of the atom. And sure enough, when they figured out how to release the potential inherent in that particular bit of small, it ended up releasing and unleashing a staggering, never-seen-before power. It turned out that an incredible amount of power really does reside in the smallest place. When I look back in my life, I discovered that in a lot of ways, the people that were staggeringly impacting in my life were people that did small, tiny things. And then their tininess of their ordinariness, it sort of blew up in my life. It might have been a coach, might have been a teacher, a, one of my parents saying something, friends that would come into our lives. And somehow the little tiniest things, they would speak into my life and it would sort of blow up and be in, you know, would sort of inform and conform and transform my life. One such guy was telling the guys yesterday uh, in the uh, 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 men's breakfast, I was talking about a guy named Brother Hamloth who was in our little uh, Nielsville Assembly of God church when I was growing up. And he was kind of a portly six foot five, six foot six guy. And uh, he grew up in Willard, Wisconsin, uh, which is nowhere. And I, I ended up, <laughs> he, the reason I liked him was because he was nice to me. I mean, I was this, this teenage kid, one of the old guys that would talk to me and ask me how my week went and smiled and just engaged. He wasn't really smart. He wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a historian. He was a farmer guy. But he was just real, and he always just had a jolliness about him. And he, ended, he always would invite me, and I eventually went out to his house just one time to his farm and we're walking around, he's showing me around the farm, and I was, you know, my parents were city people, and, you know, we never been on farms much, so I'm going around looking at the stuff, and, and on the way back to the house, he stopped, and he pointed to a field, and he said, you see that right over there? He said, that spot right there, pointed this little spot out in this field. He said, um, he said, I used to stand over there when I was a kid. 
He said, one time when I was about eight, he said, I was standing over there and, and God met me. And there's a little bit of tears welling up in his eyes, this event as he's remembering it. He said, God met me. He said, I could feel his smile. And I remember when he said that, I, it just like, it, something, this little atom went into my soul and blew up. And something, I thought to myself, I want to feel God's smile. I want, I want my life to be a life that has his smile. I want to meet God more. And, and to this day, that little moment still informs my life. I still think about that. And what's crazy about it, he had no idea that he did that. I mean, the reality is, is most of the time, small dogs, God uses small dogs to set off these atomic bombs in our souls and, and give us life-altering events, and most of us aren't even aware of it. What if that's God's destiny for most of us? What if this room is filled with hundreds of atomic events for Jesus? It also makes me wonder if the church is continuing to lose ground in our culture because we really are looking for the next big bombs, the next Billy Graham, the next Mother Teresa, the next somebody that's amazingly powerful. I'm not saying God doesn't have those in mind, but, but is it possible that the greatest power of God's kingdom is found in the small? I mean, in the lives of everyday common people, in the, in the lives of the pew sitters, I mean, that would really make small the new big I love that. Here, here's, another, here's another theory about small. What if God creates small because small fits where big doesn't? Uh, my, I, I was trading in this car uh, back in the 90s, and it was when the cassette tapes were still in existence. And uh, uh, I, uh, I had, this car had bucket seats, and, and, and it sat really low to the floor. And I was cleaning out the car, and I noticed that there was a couple of cassette tapes under the front seat. Well, I grabbed one of them, tried to grab the other one. And as I tried to grab it, you know, I grabbed it, and just as I'm reaching under with my arm, I grabbed it just enough to push it back further, right? So I'm putting my arm further underneath there, and it's, you know, the fatter part of my arm is trying to go underneath that skinnier part of the seat. And after a while, it was like I was trying to commit suicide getting this, this, this cassette tape. Right? And I'm sitting there just reaching for it and struggling, gripping, and just pushing further in. And my little daughter, Lissa, about nine years old, eight years old at the time, she said, Daddy, I said, just a minute. She said, Daddy, I said, just a minute. I'm reaching. She said, Daddy, I said, what? She went, whoosh, whoosh, here. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I thought little fits where big doesn't. I mean, what if God has made some of us not so amazing, not so spectacular, not so shock and awe. precisely because he wants to slip us into the world where we can make a difference, where big gifted people just can't fit. They can't get close to people. They can't get close to a situation because they override the situation with their greatness. Um, there's an ancient story from the 5th century of this monk named Telemachus. And not much is known about the guy um, he wasn't a famous theologian, he wasn't a church uh, leader, or anything like that. He was an everyday monk, right? Did everyday things. He happened to stumble into Rome. They, he was sent to Rome. And the Roman emperor of the day was Honor, uh, Honorius, who was the, uh, uh, he was a Christian. He did a lot to, for Christianity. But this ruler hadn't stopped the gladiator games. If you remember the gladiator games, there were these mass murderous, horrible, bloodthirsty events. People basically came to watch people get murdered, right? And so these events were going on. And this, this uh, Telemachus, he, one day, I mean, he doesn't know much. He's kind of a, you know, 
unknown guy, and he, he hears about the Colosseum events. He'd never been to one. He hears the roar in the city. And so he wanders over there one afternoon as the games are going on. He walks in, really unknown by everybody, just this little monk. He had, there's no pomp and circumstance. He's not a famous guy. Nobody attends to him. He just sneaks in. He's just this little, small little monk slipped into the masses. And this is going on. These, these people were being killed. And as he's watching, it horrified him because the crowds are going, yeah, they were loving it. They loved it as people were sliced up and dying on the field. They loved it. And, and Telemachus ran out there as two, these two guys were fighting to try to stop it. He jumps over the fence. He runs out there. He says, no, 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 stop. Don't kill each other. Well, when the crowd saw he was trying to stop the entertainment, they were enraged. And there's a whole bunch of them jumped over the fences, grabbed stones, and pelted him to death with stones. They killed him. This little monk. But the story didn't end there. What happened was the emperor heard what had happened and he hailed the monk as a martyr. And so in 404 AD, the, the, uh, the emperor issued a decree forbidding all gladiatorial games from then on. And took a while for that to take, take root. But this, the point is this little known Christ follower changed the world. This, this, I mean, January 1st uh, on the Christian calendar remains a feast day that honors St. Telemachus for his sacrifice. My point is small dogs change the world precisely because they fit where big dogs don't. God sometimes puts us in place. That's why, I mean, we can fit into a crowd. We can fit into an office. We can fit into a neighborhood. We can fit into a classroom. And God sometimes makes us smaller than instead of amazingly something simply because he cares about those places. Here's another theory I have. That small is always connected to something big somewhere down the road. I mean, big dogs do big things, it's immediate. But small dogs jump into things and they're just part of something. Uh, you know, I was a, 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 um, a CNN uh, kind of piece that was done years ago. It was in the 90s. And what had happened, this Japanese guy had set up a million dominoes, right? And they're set up, and people are watching, and they're set up all through this, uh, this whole huge area, uh, arena place. And uh, so the, 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 the cameras begin to roll as he steps up, and he pushes the dominoes, and they go, you know, and then the, as the piece goes out, it, you know, it's, it's showing how these things are falling. Well, my little evil mind thought, boy, wouldn't it have been a bad thing if somebody snuck in the night and, like, pulled out several of the dominoes? And the guy had to start all over, right? <laughs> See, because when you're in a deal like that, a big deal like that, you pull out a couple of the little guys, knocks the whole thing out. See, I wonder how many of us who don't understand that our little obediences matter, that our little moments of saying yes to God matter, that, that they may not matter because immediately we can tell, but, but they matter long term. And we're part of something. But because we don't take ourselves seriously, we step out of the game because we think we're only little, God has to set up a whole new arena because of our disobedience. I went to a, I was going to a meeting one time. I was preaching at this large church in St. Louis. And it was the afternoon before the meeting. And I was walking through the mall. And I was praying and, you know, kind of trying to get ready, but just trying to waste time at the same time. And uh, I, I stumbled into a successory store. As I walked in there, I'm looking at some of those plaques, you know, those, you have work plaques and books and that kind of thing. So I'm sitting there watching it, the, uh, the, uh, looking at the books, and, 
this gal was over in the corner, and I just caught her at the corner of my eye, and she was turned away. And something in my heart, I'm not a real spiritual guy, but something in my heart, it felt like the Holy Spirit said, something's wrong. And I remember looking over to her, and, and I looked back, and then, and then I looked over again, and she was turned this time, and I could see she was crying. And I thought, okay. So I walked over to her after she hung off the phone, and I said, excuse me, miss. I said, uh, I don't mean to be in prying or anything, but I'm over there minding my own business, and I, 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 I'm a pastor, and I really felt, I don't know if this sounds strange, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit said that I should come and pray for you. Oh, my God, she just broke out of the just sobbing, you know, that, that, that kind of, you know, that, you know, where the kids get, you know, where they can't even talk. She couldn't even talk. And so, and so I, I was telling her, I said, well, you know, I said, listen, do you know anybody that, you know, that, that is a person that believes in God and that they love scripture? You know, and I'm trying to get her. Yeah, yeah. So I said, well, let's pray. So I prayed with her. She never said a word. Didn't, I didn't know what happened because she couldn't talk. But I prayed with her and I, I prayed for her and I felt God's presence. I'm walking out of the accessory store. And I'm my own business, think, oh, that was sweet. And I heard, I'm not kidding you, I heard in my heart, what if that was the greatest thing you ever did? And it kind of made me mad. So, well, what do you mean? I preach, I wrote some books, right? Well, you know, because. <laughs> But in my heart, it was almost as if my imagination went. And I thought, well, what if, what if she was, you know, what if she was in a situation where she was going to get a divorce or something and maybe, you know, praying for her, you know, got her to connect something. Maybe she ends up marrying this guy and they have a kid and then the kid grows up and they have a kid and then the kid goes to, on a short transmission trip to, to uh, uh, you know, Chile and then in Chile they win a bunch of people to Christ and then maybe on judgment days we're all standing there. All of a sudden all these hundreds of thousands of souls are brought to Christ in Chile and they said, you know, who's responsible for this, Jesus said, and everybody goes, no, who? And they go, Ed Gunger. <laughs> now, why would that be Jesus? But do you remember that day in Successories when you obeyed me? You put something in motion that changed the world. What if small things matter? What if, you know, you may not be looking like this huge dog, but if you're not careful, on some level, you'll forget that there's a mystery involved in this business called life and that God's involved in it. One more thing. You know, what's interesting to me is that many of the most powerful government agencies like the CIA, FBI, NSA, those guys, they're covert. What that means is, you know, they're undercover agents. The reason they have power is precisely because nobody knows who they are. <laughs> you know, I mean, their, their, their agencies break up crime because of the secrecy that they have. Their agents don't have a public face. These guys, their identities are hidden. If you ever hear them interviewed, you know, they put them in the shadows, change their voices because they want to protect them. Because it's, they can best fit and do their undercover work without a public face. What if God has strategically placed believers all over the world without much public face because he has a plan? He's covert. He wants to change lives. I mean, you remember the Mission Impossible show? You know, where they, you know, dun, dun, da, da, dun, dun, da, da, ba, da, do. Right, anyway. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember how, how they would pick the people? And then when they would go in places, you know, they'd, you know, a couple of the guys would be dressed up like elevator repairmen. They weren't elevator repairmen. They were there on a mission. Everybody just thought they were elevator repairmen. 
right? But they didn't walk in thinking, you know, <clears throat> you know, I know I look like an elevator repairman, but really I'm from Michigan, Bosville, I'm about ready to blow up this building. <clears throat> they, they, they didn't find their self-worth in people knowing who they were. They were on a mission. See, what if you're on a mission? What if people just think you're a school teacher? <laughs> they just think you're a dental hygienist. They just think you're a carpenter. They have no idea that dun, dun, da, da, dun, dun, da, 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 What if small is the new big? That would mean you matter. God bless. <laughs>